I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title, and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you want to hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, inspiration, and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here, and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, everyone, and happy, happy new year. Welcome to 2021. I hope that whatever your holiday season, whatever your New Year's celebrations look like this year, that you are arriving into this new year feeling some quality or sense of renewal as we all gently make our way into the unknown together. For me personally, I've had a really rich and simple and deep time over the past month of December, and it's been mostly a lot of nuclear family time because rates in our area of the pandemic have been high. So it's just been a lot of quiet, creative, and introspective time for me, and then lots of cooking and nesting and home organizing, which has felt nourishing, even though I've definitely felt the lack of community and familial gathering and bigger celebrations this year. And as part of my more introspective, creative time, I've been thinking a lot about this podcast and where I see the project going and where I want to guide it in the year ahead. I have been reflecting on these first episodes and having this out in the world since October And I just have a tremendous amount of gratitude. I have been completely blown away by the incredible feedback I'm getting from you all, from women around the world, about how this space and how these voices and narratives and stories and interviews have been a real source of positivity and depth and inspiration. So thank you so much for being here. And if you haven't already heard, prior to the new year, we actually hit our first major milestone, which was surpassing 1,000 downloads, which is, I can't even tell you just how exciting and what a huge celebration it is for me. And, you know, in, I think in the digital age, when things can go viral overnight, or we're used to 1 million downloads or 50 million downloads, these are kind of more normal things in the information age. It can be easy to sort of dismiss or pass over a milestone like 1,000 downloads, but I'm really learning the art of celebration in my life and with the women I work with. And I want to just say that for me, it's so much more than the numbers. This podcast is about so much more than just me or my work or the numbers or the stats. It's really about a vision that is so much bigger than me and that is part of a web that's so much bigger than me. And it's really about 
the vast, incredible, deep power of women and the healing nature of doing our inner work and having the conversations, telling the stories that illuminate and uplift and give hope and offer nourishment to the wider web of women. Because I believe that when we offer that healing, that inspiration, that wisdom to the bigger web, it not only feeds that which is outside of us, but it also feeds that which is within us. So it's this very symbiotic, interdependent process. And anytime one of us feeds the circle, the circle then feeds us back. And so that's really what this podcast is about. And so when I think of 1,000 downloads, I think of 1,000 plus times that a woman's voice has been heard, 1,000 plus times that a woman's story has been given space and witness, and 1,000 plus times that somebody may have received one tiny or large nugget of transformational wisdom or transmission, just the message they needed on that particular day. And so to me, that makes me ecstatic. And I just want to thank you for being a part of that and for showing up here and for valuing the process in the same ways that I do. So as I've been dreaming into 2021, I had this idea, which has come and gone for me over the years, but it's about the idea of monthly themes on the podcast. And so I've decided to go ahead with it, which is basically that I'm going to lay out a primary or umbrella theme each month of the podcast, and then all of the episodes in that month will be able to take us into deep dives onto the subject area that's within that larger umbrella. And I'm hoping to do this so that I can really tackle some of the most rich and compelling themes that are really alive and awake in my life and in the lives of the women that I'm working with and talking to. So this month in January, I'm going to be starting out with the theme of grief and loss as initiation. And I didn't choose this theme lightly. I want to just say that um, I do almost everything in my life with as much intention as possible. And, And the podcast is no exception to this. And I really went back and forth around this because I know in a broader, more normative cultural way, January is often a lot about new beginnings. It's a lot about emphasizing, you know, what we want to do, setting our dreams and goals, having a lot of hope. Oftentimes there's a lot of hype about what we can accomplish and what we can do. And I can get on board with that too. I, I enjoy it to some degree myself. However, as I was feeling into like this quieter, more contemplative space of this time in human history and my own life as a woman and the women that I work with, what I kept getting was that we are continuing to go through a tremendous amount of grief and loss and change and transformation. And just because the calendar turned to 2021, it doesn't mean that we're not still undergoing that intense and rigorous metamorphosis process. So, you know, worldwide, we're being impacted by the global pandemic. But then what I'm seeing is that it's really dovetailing and intersecting with whatever the content is in each one of our personal lives. And so the two are kind of braiding and weaving in and out. And the result is that many of us are needing to reckon with a tremendous amount of change 
loss, sometimes extreme grief or more mild grief. Sometimes it's very acute and personal. Other times it's more collective and vague. But regardless, grief and loss is here and it's in full force with so many people dying as a result of this pandemic. And then also all of the ripple effects, losses in business, losses in partnership, in family, in dreams, losses in health, losses in, you know, things that we like to do that we can no longer do. There's just a tremendous amount of grief and loss in the air. We are also here in the Northern Hemisphere in a time of winter. And, you know, I think often when January begins, we some of us, depending on where we li live, we can feel like we've been in winter for months already. Uh, but the truth is it just began at the end of December on the solstice. And winter tends to be a much more seasonally dormant, reflective, and introspective time. And it often requires us to look at death. It requires us to sit with the absence of things, the spaces or the voids. And whether that's literally sitting with the loss and the death of a loved one or more figuratively in the loss or the ending of a relationship or a part of ourselves or a thing that we once held dear, I think that it is our kind of spiritual responsibility or our mindfulness responsibility to be willing to sit with the energies of grief and loss and death, even if it's uncomfortable for us. Because if we avoid this, it often has a way of sort of circling back around and presenting itself to us in a way that can feel really untenable. So I wanted to share a few of my thoughts around grief and loss today, just as setting the stage for the conversations that you're going to hear, the interviews you're going to be listening to over the course of the next month. And the first place I want to start is by just saying that loss and grief are inevitable parts of being human. And I, on a daily basis, I think have to remind myself of this. I'm someone who has had a lot of existential fear and anticipation of the death of loved ones since I was a little girl. And this has just been with me in my heart and mind and soul since the very beginning. And I often want to kick and scream and struggle and resist this. But quite frankly, there is literally no avoiding the reality of grief and loss if we are in a human body. So I'm aware over the years of being a psychotherapist and working with my own psyche is that we are very creative as human beings. And it's amazing how our brains are designed to try to insulate and protect us from the things that we fear most. And so we will do very clever, tricky things in order to protect ourselves from this basic truth that loss and grief are inevitable parts of being human. You'll often see this, it will show up um, when maybe we hear a story about something gut-wrenching or heartbreaking happening to another person, perhaps somebody who's a few degrees or of separation away from us. And so we'll hear the thing and the mind will just start jumping through all sorts of hoops, trying to explain why that happened and why that wouldn't or couldn't happen to us or to our most close and dear loved ones. And this is normal and it's natural, but it's good to catch it and to realize that we are resisting intensely the pain and some of the more confronting realities that can occur for us as humans. So I wanted to just start there 
because I think it's really culturally normative for us to want to be in the light, to want to be in the love, to want to be in the brighter, more chipper aspects of reality. Like, you know, we love to celebrate a pregnancy or a birth, a new baby, but how good are we about showing up for and ritualizing and honoring a miscarriage or a stillbirth or an abortion? Or we love to be champions of beating the breast cancer. You know, we have our races and our colors and our fundraisers, but what about the grueling reality of being alongside ourselves or alongside a woman as she's in the darkest throes of chemo and all that that entails? Similarly, we idealize and we romanticize the wedding day, you know, this happily ever after kind of feeling. But what about that more shadowy, dark work of showing up for a pummeling experience of infidelity or an unwanted divorce or a marriage dynamic that is just eating away at the well-being or the fabric of a family. It's really hard for us to look at these things in the face and to be with them and to mine the gifts and the beauty and everything that's there for us in the darkness. So we don't do that great uh, in general at being with with grief and loss. And I would say American culture in a big umbrella way is not very skillful in this department. And now, of course, there are many subcultures that are in the uh, America at large. And some of these subcultures actually have way more embedded into the culture around how to do grief and loss. But for many of us, the historical and cultural traditions have been lost over the course of generations. And so we actually don't know how to grieve. We actually don't know how to move through things and how to come out the other side. And so we often get stuck for many, many years or lifetimes in the process of grief and loss and and don't know how to make it out into another form of reality after the unthinkable happens. So I think about Black culture and the ways that they have used music and sound in America and gathering around being with multiple people as a way to help support grief and loss. I think about Native American cultures and many of the rituals and traditions that are there I also think about Irish traditions around music and grief and loss work in that culture. I personally am Jewish, and in Judaism, we actually have very specific sort of spelled out ways of doing grief and loss work. And for some people, those are still working. But often what happens over the course of generations in America is that You know, the things that we're working for our ancestors or in a different time and cultural context are no longer working for us in the modern day. So we might go through the motions of what our culture or our ancestors used to do around grief and loss, but we may not actually feel like we're being held or supported or able to move through the grief somatically and psychologically. So I would encourage us all to think about What did our ancestors do in the times of grief and loss? How did we view those in terms of initiatory periods? And are there ways we can kind of remember the ways that our ancestors dealt with it in a way to help ourselves or our loved ones? Or 
sometimes we also need to look outside of our own familial culture or community to see if there are other people, other cultures or communities that could really support us in a time of darkness. I want to say that we were never meant to grieve, be bereft, stumble around in the dark alone. Community and relationships are one of the most critical things that I observe women needing when they have undergone a major loss. As you'll hear in many of the interviews that I'll be sharing over the next month, solid relational support or lack thereof can be one of the most defining factors and determinants as to whether or not a woman can return to some sense of wholeness after a major initiatory period. So community is really paramount when it comes to navigating the complexity of grief and loss and coming out the other side in a way that feels like we are whole and we have integrated everything that that grief and loss had to teach us. But even if we have community, there are no guarantees about what will happen after we become initiated through grief and loss. And so I wanted to bring up the concept of post-traumatic growth, which is not guaranteed, but I wanted to name it because it is an option on the menu. You know, I think part of the reason that we resist or pull back from some of the darker aspects of the human experience is because it scares us. And I think if we can start to shift the cultural narrative that darkness grief, loss, unthinkable experiences are not only painful, but they also have gold and gifts and merit to them, then we might not be as inclined to pull back either from our own experience or from the experiences of people around us when we go through it. So we all know people or ourselves we've experienced who have experienced major losses. And we notice that some people seemingly never recover from really hard experiences or a series of hard experiences. And then there's this other group of people who not only recover, but seem to actually increase the richness in their lives. They increase their capacity for love and presence and for joy and for feeling alive. And so I'm often asking myself the question, what makes the difference? Why does one person seem to break and never stand up again? And the other person seems to have a quality of resilience. And to a certain extent, it's a mystery. And it's a question we can never answer because there's just diversity and range among the human experience. And there are a lot of different ways to explain that. However, when we think about post-traumatic growth, there's actually a lot of beautiful research on the topic. And what the research says is that there are three primary factors that support post-traumatic growth as opposed to post-traumatic crumbling. And the first one is a sense of spirituality. The second one is social support. And the third one is the ability to emotionally disclose about what has occurred to us. So I wanted to break these down a little bit. So I see spirituality as anything, any form, whether it's religion or otherwise, that helps us to have a framework and a foundation through which we can make meaning, find acceptance, and hold a wider view. I think anything that supports us to do this is an ally during times of severe grief and loss. And then with social support, the research says that it's actually specifically belonging to a supportive social group prior to the trauma that is protective and supportive of 
producing post-traumatic growth, but also having an infrastructure after a major trauma and then the space and allowance to verbalize, express, and get connection around what has occurred is so critical. So that's that ability to put words to or to express and be known in the experience of grief and loss or trauma. And I wanted to say that through my own experience, as well as a lot of anecdotal evidence working with thousands of women over the course of my career to date, having the opportunity to make meaning, to integrate the experience, and also to sequence it out of the body through trauma work and to create a personal narrative of where that experience fits into the greater picture of one's life or self-concept is one of the most powerful things I have ever experienced. I have literally observed women, you know, understanding and explaining a certain aspect of their experience in one way. And then when they're able to have that space held for the deeper trauma work and unpacking whole new meaning making and understanding and acceptance of life experiences come online. And it's incredibly powerful to witness. So I hope these thoughts are helpful in framing the conversations and the narratives that you're going to hear over the course of the next month. And I want to say that if you are negotiating currently your own grief and loss, or you know another woman who is, I want you to think, keep these things in mind, particularly around the importance of community support. I think that we can all get busy in our lives. We can all feel like we have a lot on our plates. And sometimes it's hard to remember those who are in the darkness because it's uncomfortable to be with them there. And it's uncomfortable to make that extra effort to try to go meet somebody in their darkness. But I think as much as we can, it's really important to try to prioritize this with the people in our lives and in our wider community. So this month, we will be hearing from some incredible women about their experiences of navigating grief and loss, how they've weathered the storms, and what they have uncovered as a result. We will be hearing stories of intense initiation, stories of terminal illness, child loss, personal betrayal, and death. And embedded in each one of these stories is also the story of female strength, of female warriorship personal transformation, and initiation into greater and deeper wisdom. One of my favorite authors, Terry Tempest Williams, says, grief dares us to love once more. And I find that every single woman who will be speaking to us this month is really telling a story of love and of grief, of growth and of initiation. So thank you so much for being here and for walking your path just as you are. And I look forward to sharing our first episode in this month's series next week. Until then, take really good care of yourself and the people around you. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember, we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. 
Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.